That's why it's good to come both services. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 12. Believe it or not, we're in chapter 12. By the way, if you have children who are wondering when they're going to be dismissed, it's now. (laughs) Someone sent me an article a while back um, from Reuters News Bulletin that said, Belief in hell boosts economic growth. And I thought, that that's interesting. Um, anyways, the article talked about the Federal Reserve Bank. They did this study and they studied it from several different angles. And their conclusion was that the countries that have a higher belief in hell are more prosperous economically. Pretty interesting, isn't it? And when we come to our text this morning, what we're going to find out from Jesus is that the belief in hell should change other things besides our economics. Because Jesus is going to teach us that one of the cures for hypocrisy is a firm and solid belief in the judgment to come. And so if you have your Bibles, look at Luke chapter 12 and follow along as I read these first three verses. Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, he began saying to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And whatever you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. You will discover from this text two warnings God wants you to heed so that you will not fall into the sin of hypocrisy. Or if you are in that sin, you will repent of it and get out of it. And the first is beware Hypocrisy is contagious. Look at verse 1. Luke says, under these circumstances. Now, if you've been here in the last several weeks, you you know that Jesus is kind of going toe-to-toe with the religious leaders. There's been some dialogue with him in a crowd as they've accused him of doing miracles by the power of Satan. And Jesus has then um, defended himself. And finally, uh, one of these at the end of the teaching time, one of the Pharisees said, why don't you come to my house for lunch? Of course, he invites all of his other Pharisaical friends and lawyers or scribes to come to that lunch as well. And they are really there not to be kind to him, but to find some fault in him so that they might expose him and further discredit him in the eyes of the people. Jesus then in that lunch meeting really tears into them, as we have learned. He first rips into the Pharisees pretty ferociously, so ferociously, in fact, that some of the lawyers or scribes there are going, well, when you say this about them, It insults us too. He says, and woe to you. And then he goes after the lawyers and he exposes them. And it is right after that, that our text occurs. We know that in verse 53, it says, and when he left there, it says the Pharisees began to be very hostile and questioned him closely on many subjects. So they're following Jesus. Now, We know from 
a little bit in the middle of chapter 11 and verses 14 and 27 that the large crowd was already present. Verse 29 says it was increasing. And it is under these circumstances that Luke is talking about. What Picture this in your mind. This crowd gathers. Jesus is teaching. He's doing miracles. More people gather. He keeps doing it. Then there becomes this kind of um, verbal war with the religious leaders. More people come. The crowd is swelling. And finally, one of the religious leaders that Jesus is exposing, and the crowds know that Jesus doesn't like them, and the crowds know that the religious leaders don't like Jesus. And then Jesus goes into one of the Pharisees' house. And the crowd then gathers outside. Of course, his disciples are with him, but they probably couldn't all fit in the house. Remember, we learned that when the the text says disciples, unless it says there are just 12, or there's some reason to believe there are 12, there could be 50, there could be 100, there could be 200. Remember, we learned earlier that Jesus traveled around with a large group of men and women who were his disciples. So these were probably sitting on the front lawn of the Pharisee's house. Jesus is inside the house, um, ripping into them while he's eating lunch, I guess. I don't know. And outside, this huge crowd begins to move towards. And more people hear about it, and more people hear about it. And pretty soon, there are thousands, so many thousands if you look at verse one it says this after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another i mean they're just they're they're masses of people and you could probably just picture them in your mind they're sitting all over the rolling hills and in front of this pharisee's house jesus's disciples are the closest ones sitting in the front yard jesus finally comes out and somebody says there he is And the Pharisees are walking behind questioning Jesus. And Jesus walks up to his disciples. Look at the middle of verse 1. And he began saying to his disciples, first of all, that is, because they're his disciples, he wants them to know, first of all. The Pharisees are behind him. The crowd is in front of him. And what does he say to them, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now you can imagine that when Jesus was inside the Pharisees' house, they were wincing as he unmasked their hypocrisy. That would have been a trial. But imagine Jesus saying this to his disciples and to thousands of people while you're standing behind him. Beware of these hypocrites behind me. You can just tell that Jesus has some righteous indignation here. And the first thing he says when he gets out of the Pharisee's house is, Beware of those guys. And he's giving a command. It's an imperative here. I command you to beware. I command you to take heed. I command you to be on guard against the leaven of these Pharisees which is hypocrisy. I just want to talk a little bit about leaven. Some of you may not know about it, and you need to understand the metaphor here. Um, Usually uh, in today's society, we talk about uh, yeast instead of leaven. They're the same thing. 
And when you're baking bread, you mix some dough, some water, maybe some eggs, some salt, maybe a little sugar. Um, you mix it up. You introduce a small amount of yeast into that. And that yeast then are little microscopic organisms. And when the yeast begins to consume the sugars inside the dough, the byproduct is carbon dioxide, the same stuff we have in carbonated drinks. And then the the dough then rises and the yeast uh, rapidly permeates the whole dough. It only takes a little bit and the whole lump is infected with this rapidly multiplying yeast. It It multiplies exponentially. Then you might punch it down, roll it up, put it in the oven, and the heat then uh, lets the uh, microscopic organisms multiply even faster before they get cooked to death and leave all those little bubbles in your bread which make it soft. So that's what leaven's about. The principle here is that leaven multiplies and permeates the dough, just like hypocrisy. Hypocrisy multiplies and permeates the group where it is expressed. That's what Jesus is driving at. The word hypocrisy in English is really a a transliteration of either the Greek word hypocrisis, which is usually translated hypocrisy, or hypocrites, which is usually translated hypocrite. It's just brought straight across into English. And originally it, it spoke of an actor. So if you were an actor, one who would get on the stage and pretend to be somebody you weren't, you would be a hypocrite in a good way. And of course, we know um, living in Burbank here in the entertainment capital of the world that there are many people who want to be hypocrites in a good way. (laughs) Actors. And there are many actors. And we see them, uh, a lot of wannabes, uh, waiting tables in, in restaurants and things. But these people try and make it their pers- profession to act like somebody they're not. If you've ever seen little interviews or extra features on movies or whatever, they interview people. One moment they're speaking normally and they're, they're their real self. And all of a sudden the next moment they walk on the set and all of a sudden they've got an accent and they're slightly kinked and they crinkle their face. And pretty soon they become this other person. They They become a person they're not. And the ones who are really good at it, being hypocrites, they get rewards. Um, Big ceremonies. Acting is one thing. But being a hypocrites in church and in life is quite another thing. Acting for entertainment is fine. Being a hypocrite... In the church, at home, in the workplace, around friends, that is a sin. It's actually a multiplied sin. It's kind of an evil compound of pride and lust and greed and deception and deceiving, all wrapped up into this real nasty heart sin that we call hypocrisy. Because the hypocrite wants you to believe They are something they're not. You remember in Galatians chapter 2, when Paul is talking about what happened when um, he had to confront Peter at Antioch. Peter was hanging around with the Judaizers, those who were adding works to grace. And he was pretending that he was spending time with the Jews out of respect for the law of Moses. 
When the reality of it was, he was observing the law of Moses because he didn't want to go toe-to-toe with the Judaizers. He didn't want them to think ill of him. He didn't want to lose their friendship. So he played the hypocrite. And Paul said, I had to rebuke him to his face in the presence of everybody. You walk into a room and, and there's someone rich and famous and influential that you see there and you kind of put on your happy face. You're kind of gracious persona. You try and conjure up just the right line where you can win their favor. Not because you like them. You just want something from them. You want people to see you talking with that important person. You want to be able to say at work, you know, I talked with so-and-so. Or I got business from so-and-so. You see, you have this motive, which is not, I really care about the person, and I want to get to know them and be kind to them. You have a motive. You want something from them. You want to drop their name. You want their business. You want their fame. You want their attention. I mean, it just wouldn't work if you just went up to the person and said, listen, I don't know you, you don't know me, I don't really care to know you, I just want your fame and your money and your business. (laughs) That just wouldn't work, would it? You know, what I really want from you is, could you just like talk to me for a little bit so that others will see me talking to you and then they'll be impressed that I was talking to you and later on I can get, you know, praises and wows from people who knew that I talked to you. So just talk to me, but I don't really care about you. But that's what's really going on in some people's hearts. That's why we need to constantly check our heart. That is why Jesus says, beware. Sir Arthur Cannon Doyle, famous author of the Sherlock Holmes stories, jokingly claimed that having played a practical joke on 12 highly influential and virtuous friends. He said, I sent them all an urgent telegram one day that merely read, fly at once, all is discovered. He said within 24 hours, they had all fled the country. (laughs) We're all hypocrites. We're all hypocrites. A person subtly mentions their accomplishments and, and really they kind of work it into their conversation in such a way that it doesn't look like they're bragging, but they are. So that others will praise them for having accomplished whatever it is. They're pretending to be something they're not. You know, kind of just subtly boasting about, man, I've, I've read through the Bible six times this year and I was hoping to do seven. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah, I'm serving here and I'm serving there and man, I just don't have any time, but God is good and we're fishing. We're fishing. We're pretending instead of just saying, you know, could you just praise me for serving the Lord? (laughs) That 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 wouldn't be very godly, would it? Well, it's not godly being a hypocrite either. There's the person who kind of just stretches the truth a little bit so others will be more impressed with them. There's the man with the Bible under his arm, not because he loves it, not because he reads it, not because he studies it. But because he likes that other people thinks he does. 
Thomas Watson, in his book, The Doctrine of Repentance, said the hypocrite feigns humility, but it is that he may rise in the world. He is a pretender to faith, but he makes use of it rather for a cloak than a shield. He carries his Bible under his arm, but not in his heart. His whole religion is a lie. He goes on to say, the hypocrite seems to have his eyes nailed to heaven, but his heart is full of impure lustings. He lives in secret sin against his conscience. He can be as his company is and act both the dove and the vulture. What a picture. You got this little innocent white dove picking clean little seeds and then you got this black ugly vulture sucking down chunks of rotten flesh from a carcass and some are like that in the church they come to church and they play the dove and then the rest of the week they're eating rancid meat they're engaging in sin they look like a dove on sunday but the rest of the week they're vultures There's a woman who comes to church and she's talking about religious things both before and after the service. And you think, man, she must really love the Lord. But no, she doesn't. She doesn't even love those things she talks about. She just talks about them so others hear her talking about it so that they think well of her and think that she's religious. No, she's not. Or maybe there's a young man or a young woman and and they're singing praises to God and, and they're singing out loudly. And you look at them and go, man, they've got a good voice. And man, they're really zealous to worship the Lord. But you know what the truth is? They're singing loudly so that you'll hear them and be admire them for being such a good singer. So that you'll notice them so that, wow, that person really is zealous about worshiping the Lord. They're not worshiping the Lord in their heart. They're thinking, I hope so-and-so's watching. I hope so-and-so's listening. I hope they're looking at me. Then there's the person when it's time to give the offering, you know, the basket comes by and, you know, they've kind of got the fluorescent green offering envelope that they kind of just, you know, twirl a little bit, flash a little bit, do kind of like spiritual slam dunk in the plate. So everybody go, whoo, there he is, he's giving. Kind of like the Pharisees who blew the trumpet. They would never give online because then nobody would see me. I mean, if I gave online, you know what happened? People would look at me. They'd realize that that person isn't giving because I can't see them. I mean, who cares? The Bible says, don't let anybody know. Give anonymously. Don't let your, your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Forget that, man. At least, you know, get the white envelope out kind of. Mm, so that people can see that at least you're godly. I mean, why else would you give? You know, the glory of God. Watson said, quote, the hypocrite thinks of nothing but self-interest. The sails of his mill move only when the wind of promotion blows. He never dies into the water of the sanctuary except to fetch up a piece of gold from the bottom, end quote. So there are a lot of gold fetchers in the church. People who are looking for praise, adoration, respect, fame. People who come not to worship God, not to be a blessing to other people. If you could look in their mind, all arrows are pointing in and none are pointing out. It's all about self. There's nothing about other people. They don't serve other people. They don't love other people. They aren't giving to other people. It's them, them, them. And that's why Jesus says, beware, beware. I've had people come up to me and graciously say, you know, Jack, when you're talking about that, I don't think that's quite right. And also it's like, 
you're right. I, I, I twisted the truth there, didn't I? Oh, man, I can think of my Christian life. I had several people really whoop me on this one. They knew the truth. You know, Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. It's a good one to memorize. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Better to get the punch in the nose than to have somebody say, oh, I love you. And let you continue in sin. That's not love. You remember when Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well in John 4? I love that story. Jesus goes and there he is. And the Samaritan woman comes. And he sends his disciples to get something to eat. And he asked the Samaritan woman, hey, could you get me a drink of water? And she's kind of taken back. And she says, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? And then John lets us know, in case we didn't know, that Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And so, Jesus then says, yeah, if you knew who it was, who you were talking to, he would have given you living water. And she says, well, well, give me it. You know, give me this living water that one, if he drinks of it, will never thirst again. And then Jesus starts fishing. You see, people don't need saved unless they first admit their what? Sin. So he says, go get your husband. Go fetch your husband. And then she, with a rather pious, uh, you know, reply says, I don't have a husband. Which was kind of true. She had had five husbands. And she was living in an adulterous relationship with another man. But of course, that wouldn't come across very well. It would be kind of the cold, harsh facts to say, well, I've, you know, I've gone through five husbands, divorced the first five. Now I'm shacking up with some guy who belongs to another woman. That just wouldn't make her look good. Then Jesus, he exposes her and he says, You have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. And then he graciously adds, this you have said truly. He at least acknowledges that what she did say, though very insufficient, was true. That that part. But see, the hypocrite wants others to think they're something they're not. You know, you ask a friend, you know, could you hold me accountable? I'm really struggling with this sin. I'm, I'm dealing with this thing. And they say, I'll hold you accountable. Whenever I see you, I ask you about it. Okay. So they see you and they ask you and say, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Well, praise God. And they walk away. You're not doing good. You know you're not doing good. You've been indulging in that sin all week. You know it and God knows it, but you play the hypocrite to deceive your own friend from helping you. If the guy knew that you were struggling, he would have said, listen, let's pray right now. I'm going to call you more frequently. I'm going to check up on you more frequently. I'm going to get you more help. And you cheat your own soul just so that people will think well of you. So you lie. You play the hypocrite. Now, I just want to ask you, why does Jesus say beware of the hypocrisy? The leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Why does he say that? It's because hypocrisy is contagious, 
just like leaven is contagious in dough. Every local body of believers is composed of hypocrites. You know, you hear people say things when you're trying to share the gospel. Ah, you Christians, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You say, well, that's right. Come on and join us. The difference is we're forgiven hypocrites and you're not. You're a hypocrite too. Of course, when you know Christ and Christ begins to mold your life, he begins to change you slowly into his image. You should be becoming less and less of a hypocrite. But everyone is a hypocrite to one degree or another. It is so subtle. It is so insidious that I think a lot of times we don't even notice it. We don't even we aren't even aware it's happening, or sometimes we, it comes so naturally to put ourselves in a certain light and to do things for selfish purposes that we can do it and not even realize we're pretending for some sort of selfish reason. And we, the church becomes a, a group of Judases and Pharisees and scribes, little Nebuchadnezzars who, who are filled with pride and lying and deceit. You go to a church that doesn't preach the word of God, where the people don't know the gospel, where they aren't saved. And here's this church. What do these people do every Sunday? Do you ever wonder about that? What do all of those unbelieving people who profess to be Christians do all the time at church? They play the hypocrite. They pretend to be something they're not. And I think some of them don't even realize it. Because the word of God isn't taught there. It doesn't expose their hypocrisy. Now you might be sitting out there and you're thinking, man, this is convicting. Can we like move on to the happy text? Um, you look at your life and it just seems that your heart is just a big black cauldron. And just hypocrisy keeps boiling to the top. And what do you do? You go, well, I keep trying to confess it. I mean, I, when I think about it, man, I'm a hypocrite in a lot of places. What do I do? I mean, can you help me? And the answer is yes, because Jesus helps us in the text here. Jesus gives us the motivation for not being a hypocrite. And this is our second point. Be warned, hypocrites will be exposed. Now Jesus is going to let us know in four doses one thing. Now, we know when Jesus says something once, it's important. When he says something twice, it's really important. He says it four times here, the same thing. As he tells us the cure for hypocrisy. And what is it? Look at verse 2. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed. What does the hypocrite do? He covers up his true identity. He says, Hi, I'm this way, when really he's this way. He pretends to be this person when he's really that person. And Jesus says, notice, there is nothing covered up. You could put this in a positive way. All things will be uncovered. Look at the middle of verse 2, where Jesus says the same thing in a little different way. And there is nothing hidden that will not be Known. Oh, you try and hide your sin, what you did, what you said. 
And you think, oh, no one's ever going to find out about this. This is going to be, this is going to be my little secret here. We'll just put this away. And 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years go by and no one knows but you and God. And when you get to heaven, if you don't know Christ, out comes the sin. He uncovers it. And there's all the holy angels, their eyes bulging out. There's all the saints of all the ages looking. Psalm 90 verse 8 says, You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins, and the light of your presence. Just think of the radiant glory of God shining on your sins. With the myriads and myriads and ten thousands upon ten thousands of holy angels looking on, and all the saints of all the ages looking at your sin, which you thought you had hidden all of your life, is now uncloaked for all to see. Psalm 139 reminds us, O Lord, you search me, you have known me, even when I sit down, when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar, you scrutinize my path, am I lying down, and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Of course, you know the psalm goes on to just explain, it doesn't matter where you go to heaven, it doesn't matter where you go into hell, it doesn't matter where you go, you can't hide from God, he's there everywhere, he's there all the time, he's always watching, he sees all your thoughts, he sees all of your deeds, he remembers perfectly and infinitely so that you cannot escape anything. Oh, you can fool us, we're easy to fool. You can't fool God. The author of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews 4.13, For all things are laid bare and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And he actually uses a butchering term. Like Bob was speaking of earlier, they would have those sacrifices. Well, we just see a cow in the field. You know what the butcher sees? Inside the cow. He cuts off its skin. He pulls out its guts. He saves some. He throws away others. He chops up the meat into different pieces. He grinds it up. So he sees that animal through and through. He knows all about that cow. We just see the outside, the hide. And that's how God is with us. He butchers us with his infinite vision. With his all-seeing eye. He sees right into us. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. Verse 11 says, Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of men. God sees. He is never fooled by your act. Ever. And look at the beginning of verse 3. Jesus says it a third way. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. You think, oh, yeah, let's go whisper. Let's talk in the dark. And it's dark. We're in this dark alley on a dark night with no moon. There's so much smog you can't even see the stars. And we're talking about evil things and no one's going to hear. But God. And then at the end of your life. The books are open. Revelation 20 says at the great white throne, the books are open and all the dead, great and small stand before the Lord. And God says, okay, bring out the Cyclopedia Britannica for this person and their sins. And it's all exposed. It's exposed. Everything you thought was 
whispered in private secrecy and the darkness is exposed. I mean, what if you had played back for you every evil thought and every evil deed you have ever done in the company of the heavenly hosts? Would that be scary? That's what's going to happen. That is scary. That's the motivation not to be a hypocrite. It's scary. If you don't know Christ, you're going to be exposed. Nothing. You're going to get away with nothing. There's a Dutch proverb that says, even though the lie runs ever so fast, the truth overtakes it at last. In the middle of verse 3, Jesus says that a fourth and final way, and what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. The inner rooms are the inner rooms of the house. Usually in the inner house, they might dig in kind of a spot or have extra thick walls and have a storage room in there that would keep things kind of cool. The walls were extra thick. It was not only inside the outside walls, but inside the inside walls. So it was like the most private place, the most audibly secure place that you could be. And so you go into your inner room and you say, let me tell you something. And you whisper so no one knows the evil that you just spoke and God sees it all. And on judgment day, he brings it out and he says, you remember when you said this in the inner room? And you realize, "Uh oh, I didn't fool God. That's what Jesus is trying to teach us. Do you remember Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes? Solomon is rich. He's powerful. He's got money. He's got wisdom. And he uses all that money and all that wisdom to try and find out what life is like apart from God. And he he goes after women. He goes after botany. He goes after all kinds of things. He goes after all those things. You remember what the last two verses say? Let me remind you. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. The conclusion... When all has been been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person for God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether good or evil. It's going to come out. It's going to come out. It's exactly what we read about the great white throne judgment of Revelation 20 verses 11 through 15. I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead and the great and the small standing before the throne. The books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which are written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them and they were judged every one of them according to their deeds then death and haze were thrown into the lake of fire this is the second death the lake of fire and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life he was thrown into the lake of fire the hypocritical unbeliever pretends to be a christian but they're not and they may fool people their whole life jesus says in matthew 7 that it will be the many who say this Many professing Christians will say, Lord, Lord, have we not? And it's the few that actually know him. Now, what if you're a believer, though? I mean, what if you have repented of your sins and what if you have given your life to Christ? Then what happens? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 or 1 Corinthians 3 when he says, you know, all those things that we do that aren't built on Christ... 
they all get burnt up like wood and hay and straw. And the only thing that remains is silver, gold, and precious stones. Isn't that amazing? Could you imagine just being there? You get to heaven and, and you just want to say, Oh, Lord, I am so sorry, man. I am such a great sinner. You know, I'm sorry. He says, what are you talking about? Well, you know, my sin, my sin. I, I've got to get. You don't have any sin. No, no. The, you know, all of my luck. All I see is the righteousness of Christ. What are you talking about? Is that amazing? That is amazing. That's what's true if you know Christ. That's what's true if you know Christ. We have the blood of Christ which cleanses us from all sin. But there is a kind of person who doesn't know Christ, who pretends that they do. And that person is in serious trouble. He's in very serious trouble because he is faking others out that he's a Christian when he's really not. Jill Briscoe in her work, Heaven and Hell, has a poem about those who deny God and deny hell. It's called the wish wand. Let me just read it to you. It reads, I had a little wish wand and waved it to and fro whenever thoughts turned heavenward or the other place you go. I thought it safe to trust it with my whole eternal soul. So I wished the life I'd lived on earth would get me to my goal. I wish that all would get to heaven, whatever they believe that Buddha sat at God's right hand, that new age be received. I wish that Paul would change his mind that Jesus wasn't right because he spoke of lostness and dark eternal night about the way to heaven. One truth, one narrow gate. And I was so broad minded that I wished away my fate. So I wave my little wish wand and the radiant face of him who met me at the gate of heaven and wouldn't let me in. I wrote to heaven's congressman, but he courteously replied that I should have left my wished wand at the feet of him who died. For wishes could not wish away a lifetime of rejection, and wishes could not dress my soul in heaven's own perfection. And wishes could not save me now, for hell was so obscene that wishes there die ghastly death strangled with a scream. So I took my little wish wand into hell the day I died and I waved it at the serpent as he slithered to my side. It was dark, but I could see him and all I knew was fear. And no matter how I waved my wand, he wouldn't disappear. Oh, I wish that I had wished a right. I wished I lived again. I wished I had a body that was whole, not racked with pain. I wished I could remember something other than the dirt. I wished I could forget my sin so every memory hurt. Oh, I wished and wished and wished that I could have had another chance to cast upon the crucified a trusting, saving glance. But the devil took my wish one and he laughed right in my face. And I went to live eternally in darkness and disgrace. I never wished a wish again. I had no heart to try for hell is where hope ended. 
and where all my wishes died. You don't want that to be you. I've talked to so many people who have that little wish wand. Who just say, oh, there's God is a God of love. There's many ways to heaven. They're just wishing. They just fabricated their own truth, their own God and their own hope. And they've put all of their eternal soul on the wish wand rather than Christ. Thomas Watson gives us sound advice in the godly man's picture when he says, quote, Christian, if you mourn for hypocrisy, yet find this sin so potent that you cannot get the mastery of it, go to Christ. Beg of him that he would exercise his kingly office in your soul, that he would subdue this sin and put it under the yoke. Beg of Christ to exercise his spiritual surgery upon you. Desire him to lance your heart and cut out the rotten flesh and that he would apply the medicine of his blood to heal you of your hypocrisy. End quote. You were all prone to it and we're all hypocrites. If you don't know Christ, hypocrisy is damning. And no amount of wishing, no amount of acting, and no amount of pretending will fool God. It is only by placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection to save you, that you can be delivered from the wrath to come. Judgment is coming. God sees all, and everything will be exposed. Unless you fly to Christ. And then, God will say, What sin? Oh, my son died for your sin. I just don't quite remember it anymore. Come and inherit eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the death of Christ that we celebrated today. How amazing it is when we look at our own dark hearts. Though we're growing in Christ, we're so far from his holiness. We need you, Lord. We need your strength and your wisdom. We need to see our sin. Show it to us as much as we can possibly bear that we might confess it, that the blood of Christ might cleanse us and make us new. Help us to be true with one another. Help us to be kind and wound each other faithfully when necessary. Help us not to pretend to be one way for evil motives, but may we be true in every respect that we might be a church that honors you in all that we do. Protect us from the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.